As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Business of Sport podcast on The Athletic. Matt Slater with us as usual. And coming up with the Winter Olympics in Beijing drawing to a close this week, we'll look at what the future holds for both the Winter and the Summer Games from a social, political and commercial perspective. And later on in the pod, we'll talk to an economist who questions the value to a city of bidding for the Olympics and we'll give his thoughts on how things could change. Our first guest, though, is Andy Anson, CEO of the British Olympic Association, who joins us from Beijing. Uh, so you're in Beijing. How challenging has it been there? And indeed, how challenging was it in the build-up to these games? Yeah, it's definitely been very, very demanding. I think the build-up, you know, like Tokyo, was was all about making sure everyone was COVID-free. So the number of tests we all had to have in the build-up was, was phenomenal. And making sure we got everyone into country without COVID, you know, materialising. And we've managed to do that. We've managed to have zero cases. We have had a few people who had COVID tested positive on arrival. The test is truly gruesome at the airport. They stick a swab, one of the long ones, right down your nose into your throat. It's, it's appalling. And it does find every little last fragment that people might have. So we had a few who tested positive on the way in, but... Their second, third, fourth tests were negative and they were out very quickly. We've had three or four of those. But other than that, we've had no positive tests. So that's good. Um, then getting into the villages and all that stuff has been hard because of the control loop. And normally we'd have come into country several times in the 12 months before the game started. We've not been able to come at all um, in the build-up. You know, the last time the BOA and Team GB were in country was over two years ago. And so we've been very reliant on our folk at the British Embassy going up to do all the recce's of all the places but that's it just meant that the staff were coming in to set up gyms to set up warehouse stock rooms with with no knowledge of where they were coming and that's been difficult and then I think the control loop has been rigorously enforced by the Chinese you know you're not allowed outside of the the metal fencing and um, razor wire <laughs> and nor would you probably want to but the it, and then you know so you move from zone to zone in a very controlled way and, it, and that's been I think that's been difficult you know I guess the athletes are getting used to this existence over the last two years of being in a bubble so I think they probably come into the bubble 
they've got on with their training and, and done their job. So, so you know, that's the same for everyone. But it, it's not easy. When you debrief a, 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 an experience like this with your fellow executives, with, with funding, with that, whatever it may be, how much do you have to take this as an isolated game? And be, I, I tell you what's an interesting comparison, Andy, and, you know, you're, you're chair of Lancashire County Cricket Club, so you have a cricket hat on as well. But Ashley Giles, in the towards the end of of the Ashes, gave a really, really emotional speech from an executive's point of view about about just how unique everything is in the sporting landscape at the moment. Yeah, I think we've got to look at that, but that would just be one factor we would look at. And to some extent, it's the same for everyone, you know. And and we've also got to acknowledge that because you look at countries like Norway and Germany. And, you know, it's the same for them, but yet they're, they're, they're having a very, very successful game, you know, both of those countries. And, and so it's one factor, but we will do that. And we'll do that after, after the games have finished. We're not going to do it during the games because we've still got a number of, you know, really important athletes to go. We've got two curling teams, two bobsleigh teams, some great half-pipe skiers still to go and, and, and others. Um, and so we've got to support them now. So our whole focus is on that. But we will do a proper debrief, you know, and you mentioned funding with UK Sports um, and, and other stakeholders and make sure we do that properly. And that will be one factor. And we'll make sure we talk to the athletes because the ones, the guys who really know if this is affecting anyone are the coaches and the athletes. And I think maybe with winter sports, it's, it's quite interesting because the lockdowns made it very hard to travel, obviously, for, you know, a year, 18 months. And, and most of our winter sports athletes have to train overseas. I mean, that's the reality of it. You know, we've not got winter sport facilities. So that we will look at those things and see if that's had an impact. But a lot of the guys have come in having done World Cups and performed really well in World Cups. And they've been on the circuit. The circuits have been operating well around the world. So, you know, we're certainly not looking to make an excuse because everyone has had that same restriction around them. So how has morale been? Unbelievable, Mark. I, I the one great thing about everyone, Team GB and everyone around it, is they've, they're very, very focused on delivering the best environment at games time. And so I've just been up in um, Yangjing, in the village there, where the bobsleigh team are, and their spirits are amazing. They're a really fun, high-energy, focused group of individuals. And even after last night, which was probably very tough for, for the team, for Brad Hall and his, his team, they bounce back and they're resilient and they're in, they're in good mood. And you know, Georgie, our chef de mission, who's our first ever woman chef de mission, has done a brilliant job of just keeping everyone focused. We started this mantra in Tokyo that every day was day one, and we're trying to keep that going here. We're basically very focused on making sure that those athletes, you know, we'll take the two half-pipe athletes, um, Gus Kenworthy and Zoe Atkin, who've just come in, and uh, and they've got to compete. You know, they've just been going through the, the their training and practice, and now they've still got to compete. So we've got to treat the environment for them as though it's day one and everyone is doing that and it's really positive to see so despite it being slightly disappointing at this stage I would say the environment is, is incredibly positive. I know when you're there it can sometimes be a bit different but the stories here aren't great um, you know we went into these games with questions around human rights Peng Shui it just did a whole kind of China versus the West thing Russian doping has come up again and that's been the story of the sort of kind of last few days you know there's a big editorial big editorial piece in the Telegraph today saying these have been a disaster for China there's a big editorial in the the, the Times just about you know this is the, the Russian doping story you know this could be the end of the IOC's credibility you know you know perhaps a little bit of hyperbole here but but that is the commentary around these games. Do, do, do you feel that 
do you do you do you agree with any of it? Can we move on? How do we move on? Well, let's take the two things separately. I think the coming in, of course, we were aware of the human rights stories and we were very aware, you know, of, of the media commentary. We stayed focused on on the games and the athletes and making sure they had the chance to compete. The decision was taken to put the Olympics in China. And I understand why that decision was taken, by the way, before many of the human rights stories really materialized. And, you know, I, I met with um, various people to discuss the the issue with China, including the Chinese embassy. We do, for the first time, we've done $100 billion of trade with China last year. So, this, you know, there's this human rights narrative going on in the background, and yet we and every other major country in the world is trading with China and dealing with China every day. So it's quite hard for us as, you know, the British Olympic Association to be the only body that takes that on the chin and says we're going to do something about it. It's a big, a big issue. Of course, we can't possibly condone the kind of human rights abuses we've we've read about and and that's terrible but nor can we be the the ones who solve that i mean we do need governments around the world to be the ones who are prepared to address it and they're clearly not because we're trading with china i understand the pressure the ioc was under you know it's either kazakhstan or china at the end of the day i think i'd rather go to china to tell you the truth and i think you know we've got to realize that these are commercial properties that the top sponsors of the ioc have a big say in in things and and you know whether we like that or not that's the reality of major sports events and china is a major major market for many multinational organizations and and that's not changed so yeah of course i understand the human rights story but equally we couldn't be the ones to take our athletes out and and not give them the chance to compete the russian doping thing for me is much more instantly from a sporting perspective problematic I think, you know, when you look at the history of, of what's gone on with Russia, you know, you go back to watching that Icarus documentary, it's been a horrendous story. And what's happened this week, for me, is about as, as bad as it gets for a 15-year-old to potentially, you know, have been given banned substances. I just find appalling. And, you know, we've got to realise we're still within the A and B sample and we've not had the B sample tested and we were actually pushing to say that no athlete should ever be named until the B sample has been tested. But now the story's out and, you know, there are very few B samples that are different than the A samples. We've got to assume that something has gone on and it's a horrific story. One thing we've been urging the IOC to do is to properly investigate everyone around the athlete and make sure they get to the bottom of it. It's not always easy. You know, I, I was involved when I was on the ATP tennis tour in a match-fixing scandal that involved Russia, and getting to the bottom of these things is not always straightforward. But they've got to try their best to do it, because if it's the worst-case scenario that, you know, this is, again, some kind of systematic doping, then something serious has to be done. Because, for me, the thought of someone giving these substances to a 15-year-old is truly awful, and we've got to do something about it. Do you sense that the, 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 the sporting world, aside from... The Russian Olympic Committee is all pulling in the same direction. There, do you feel you have plenty of allies? Because it's very yeah. easy to look at it from our British sense of fair play attitude, blah blah blah. But you know, not everybody thinks exactly the same as we do. It's interesting because we spend a lot of time with what we call the Five Eyes: the US, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. And I was with them when the story was breaking. Actually, at a meeting, the US were clearly absolutely livid. You know, you could argue they have a vested interest, but. The US and Canada have been pushing the IOC very hard to do something serious about it. I've discussed it with other European um, Olympic committees and they're equally angry about the whole thing. But, you know, then the tragedy of a 15-year-old getting dragged into this 
just makes it, it 10 times worse. So, yeah, I do feel that there is a genu- genuine feeling. And even within the IOC, I think they were angry with the cast finding. I think they want to make sure that the entourage is properly investigated. And I think they've, they've got a real desire to do that. I certainly hope so. Because if it doesn't happen, then we've all got a serious problem. Well, we have. Although then, then the danger is those that, those that you know, push push back against this and, and argue, you know, that quite rightly you know there shouldn't there shouldn't be drugs in sport can then be accused of hypocrisy i'm not i'm not accusing you of that but you know i'm not you know usa and canada over the years haven't exactly got a, no britain hasn't britain, britain hasn't got a clean slate either let's be honest you know no. this, is, this is a problem but i hope that if we ever find individual cases that will take as tough action as we possibly can you know I would, if, if we found someone deliberately doping then i would for one wouldn't want them to compete for team gb again but I know that legally that may not be achievable, but I, you know, I would come down on our own um, doping cheats as hard as I would come on anyone. So I, you, we can't be hypocrites, and and you know, we clearly still have an outstanding case from Tokyo, and I would take that incredibly seriously, and I'm, you know, wouldn't relax on that at all. Clearly, you know, the Russian case with the systematic government-involved doping scandal around Sochi was something bigger and broader than we've ever seen before. I think. You know, and you certainly hope that's the case that it's not going on anywhere else to that extent. Uh, and that needs to be addressed. And I'm not sure that over the years, when you look at how that case has evolved, that some of the decision-making seems to have just been diluted and some of the, you know, the cast finding that reduced the, the ban from four years to two years. When you read that finding, I still can't understand why that decision was taken. It's actually the, the whole thing, how ridiculous the whole thing is at times. It can be brought into focus when... You know, having breakfast with my eight-year-old, and she says, "What? What are rock?" And then you try and explain <laughs> what the Russian Olympic Committee are, and she goes, "Well, why aren't they Russia?" And before you know it, you're you know, googling, Wikipediaing, and trying to trying to <laughs> trying to put the most simplistic answer possible to an eight-year-old who's quite rightly yeah. found the fault in the whole system very very early on in her question. Going back to your first point about um. The location for for games, which I think is really interesting at the moment, yeah. and I'm not just talking Olympics, Andy. And you've worked in a number of sports. You can look at football World Cups, and and you know the decision last last week, I think it was, to actually maybe focus on the Euros for the UK and Ireland, and not not yeah. the the World Cup. You can look at the announcement today for the Commonwealth Games, which now literally looks like it's going to spring every four years between the UK and and Australia, and that's like, yeah. there are real challenges, aren't there, for go- for governing bodies to get countries interested in hosting these well interesting though because we out here there's a lot of talk about the 2030 winter olympics um because you know there was obviously a problem finding a host for for this games and then we've got milan cortina for the next winter game but it looks like we're going to have the us canada and japan vying for that winter games in in you know after milan cortina in 2030 so there is still an appetite and and what's interesting though I think the IOC have decided to take a bit of the democracy out of the decision making, which which is interesting. You know, by awarding it to Brisbane, that was the first time they've done that in a long while, and maybe that is a reaction to the tiring and grueling and sometimes irritating process of bidding, which you know I was obviously involved in the 2018 World right. Cup bid was was pretty awful, and, and it's interesting that that has happened and that they've just awarded that to, to Brisbane. And I think when you look at the upcoming games we've got Paris which I think should be an amazing Olympic Games we've got LA 28 which will also be an amazing Games and now we've got Brisbane so I think maybe they've removed some of those political headaches from the picture for the next 
decade to make everyone's lives a bit easier. But I'm always wary from having done the World Cup bit of, of having an Anglo-Saxon view of the world. We're very good at sitting on our moral high horse and judging mm-hmm. others. And, and we're not liked for it. And, you know, and that's why I think one of the reasons the FA and, uh, pulled out of the, the World Cup bid, you know, we are not well regarded around the world because we do take these sometimes, you know, high brown moral stands. And that, that's tough sometimes. So I, I'm also aware in this world, when you're in a hotel with people from every, every other nation, that we've got to behave in a more global way sometimes. And that may not always be palatable for our media. It may not always be palatable for people back in the UK, but it's the reality of, of working in this global environment. And yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. I, I, I hear and sense that all the time as well, be it football or Olympics or, or any of the major sports, really. we've, we've <laughs> These things are popularity contests. And, and sometimes it's unfair, this sort of, that we're arrogant. And yeah, they're certainly guilty of arrogance. I see arrogance though in lots of other nations too. But it is a sort of stick that sometimes we walk into it. I'm like, oh God, you know, don't, don't be so arrogant because we're not as arrogant as that. But anyway, um, I do, I, I think you're onto something though with this, this the IOC playing a bit safe going forward. Because, because look, COVID, no one saw COVID coming. COVID's been difficult for every major sport. It's been half of the Olympics, you know, second games in a row where it's been the story. You know, the Russian doping all coming off the back of Sochi. You know, Pyeongchang, uh, you know, it seems a bit of a meh kind of winter games to me. Look, Paris is going to be good. Everyone is, everyone I talk to is putting so much faith and story into LA. And it and it is that, it's that repeat of the 84 moment, isn't it? That coming off the back of, of a bad period for the olympic movement boycotts and what have you of course there was a boycott in 84 but 76 have been tricky with montreal and there've been some loss making games la nailed it the venues were good the stories were good the sponsors loved it the broadcasters loved it it made money is that what kind of the olympic movement needs now just an absolute smash hit commercial and broadcasting hit i think i think it needs more than that i think covid has been hard for everyone i think it's made these these get two sets of games difficult. But I actually think Paris is potentially a bigger moment. We've all got to pray that COVID is long gone by the time we get to Paris. But I think the, the, I've been with the French Olympic Committee and the Paris guys this week. That, for me, is the one that could change everything and take us back into a positive movement. You know, this idea of having the opening ceremony going down the River Seine and um, 600,000 ticketed places watching people go down the Seine... That's so exciting. And when you look at the venues, you know, the, the beach volleyball under the Eiffel Tower, all the sort of more modern sports going on in the Place de la Concorde, the equestrian at the Palace of Versailles, you know, it could be amazing. So I'm just, and I think everyone out here is actually talking about Paris being the thing that we're all holding up and waiting for to change the mood a little bit. So I think that hopefully gets everyone back into just the excitement. And for us back in the UK, the time zone means that the you know everyone watching back home can really get into you know the spirit of the games again and actually can go and watch them because it'll be so easy to go across the on you know the tunnel on the train and go and watch the games. Hopefully that can get us all back into it. And then with an, a European winter games on the back of that in again in the same time zone, I think that's the time when we can all start looking forward again. I hear you, and I, and I think you're right as well. I- how much conversation is there around the Olympic program, the actual offering, the sports offering? And, yeah. and I think equally importantly, how we deliver that program to today's viewer, to today's consumer. Yeah. The Olympics still seems, I know it dabbles, it, it, it adds one or two, and, and Tokyo was good at that. 
Yeah. And I think the winter games have really kind of transformed themselves in, in a relatively short period of time. But it still seems to be a bit reactive. It's not exactly leading. What happened in Tokyo has given everyone a lot more appetite. You know, it, the, you take the BMX and the skateboarding. I think they moved everything on a long way, right? Just those two events. And then the mixed relays in swimming, in triathlon, those were fantastic events. And and actually that mixed relay in the snowboard cross here was brilliant. You know, if that it's a shame we didn't do better in that because that was a really good event. So I think I think there was an appetite. With that might come some pain, you know, when you saw the announcement that weightlifting, boxing and modern pentathlon were at risk for different reasons, you realize, you know, modern pentathlon is the one that's really going to fight for its life because it, it didn't rate. It didn't rate on social media. It didn't rate on television. And we won two gold medals at it. So we're fighting like crazy to keep it in. But it needs to do something to make itself relevant to today's market. Whereas the BMX... You know, you take the, those are two BMX gold medalists. They're brilliant athletes. They've resonated since on social media in a fantastic way. A whole new generation has been able to interact with them. And, and there's something in that that makes you think we've got to keep moving with that stuff because Charlotte Worthington has just been a brilliant ambassador for us since since the Games. And, and she's, you know, come out of herself and she's been absolutely fantastic. So I'm, I'm hopeful that those events keep moving forward. We've got breaking in Paris, which everyone raised their eyebrows up but everyone who was in Argentina at the youth games when that was an event said it was amazing so you know let's not be closed-minded let's keep trying to move it forward but let's also realize that might come at some cost because it's not you can't you can't say we've got to modernize on one hand and, and keep everything that's traditional and old school on the other when you talk about sports rating does every Olympic association do its own research and and have its own numbers and figures on demographics and what measures and what doesn't and does the ioc do that globally yeah they do it globally to a very very low level of detail so that sport by sport event by event they look at tv ratings social media interest uh, and they go right down to the end level of detail on it and they share that you know with us we do it obviously with our local broadcasters and um, and with our own social media channels. So we're very aware of, of, of the impact. But yeah, the IOC are keeping a very close eye on on those kind of things, and they do want to make it relevant, and they do want to make sure that you know young young audiences are still interested in the games because that's the thing we've all got to fight for, right? We can't just assume that the, the teenagers of today are going to be interested in the Olympic games in the way that we were because it's not so. There, is, there are a lot more things to distract them and take them away from the television screen. You know, my kids, if it's a football match on the BBC, they don't think it's a football match on television because they can't find it. And, and so we, we've got to work hard. We've got to work hard at that stuff. And, and I do think that modernising the content is important to a certain point because there's something brilliant about the Olympic Games that I don't want to lose, you know. And I think that clearly came through in Tokyo, that there was a love for some of the more traditional events as well. Well, first thing, Andy, I'm going to have a word with your kids, and you know I'm going to have a word with your kids because, <laughs> you know, that's bang out of order. So, <laughs> secondly, there's a really interesting challenge there, isn't there? Because the IOC might have a set of figures that show three of the – I'm making stuff up here – but three of the top five sports globally might not necessarily rate that much in the UK, right? So 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 globally, brilliant. We want those here in the UK. Well, either they're not rating brilliantly, or we're we're not very successful in them. Yeah. So that then presumably poses quite an interesting challenge for you about funding, about where to build because those sports aren't going to be in danger as far as the IOC is concerned. No, but then 
the sports that are in danger might be really good in this country. So you've got to fight for them whilst looking at what's rating globally. Let's take modern pentathlon. We are desperately fighting to keep it, right? So we've been out two weeks before we came here. We had a serious meeting there to see about what we but need But only to because do. we're good at it. Not because it's rating yeah. here, but because we're good at it. Because we're good at it, because there's a, there's a really passionate group of athletes in this country who feel that they want to keep going and what it's worthwhile, they want to keep fighting for it. And the IOC have always protected it because it's part of the traditional, you know, the original Olympic Games. But that's, I'm just using that as an example yeah. of something that we have a value on, whether it's media ratings or not. We will go and fight our corner for that. And same with boxing. Right? I mean, boxing's at risk because there's been refereeing and judging scandals that have tarnished the whole amateur boxing world. And the IOC are adamant that that can't continue, that something needs to happen about that. So we will help you know, find a solution. We help very much with the organisation of the, of the events going into uh, the Olympic Games in Tokyo. And we'll help them make sure that we find a good solution for boxing because boxing is important. I mean, for me, boxing is one of the sports that really has a diverse grassroots appeal mm -hmm. and is, is bringing people together from all sorts of walks of life. And, and we've got to fight for boxing on a global basis and also countries you know you've got the philippines you've got cuba you've got european countries boxing has got such a massive appeal i think and and we've got to make sure we keep it in the olympic games and and so we'll fight like crazy for that as well so so you've got passionate modern pentathletes but what do you say to all those passionate kids who are playing basketball then in a sport that presumably rates quite highly for the ioc it's interesting the the basketball for us is something that we we know is a popular sport. We've got to make sure we find a way to support it. It's obviously had its funding issues, which is you know we're not directly responsible for. But we've got to we've got to keep finding a way because it's that is a popular participation sport, and I think everyone knows that. We can't give up on that. We've got to make sure that we acknowledge that that is an important sport for people in you know in the UK in different communities. We've just got to make sure we're there supporting that. Speaking of a uh, popular participation sports, uh, Andy, um, football. Football was uh, was was one of the talking points coming into these winter games in a strange way, in that FIFA president Johnny Infantino didn't come, perhaps didn't want to show his face, perhaps was worried about the reception he'd get because of his desire to have biennial World Cups. That fundamentally hurts the Olympic movement, doesn't it? Yeah, without a doubt. That is a threat. A two-year World Cup would have a very negative effect with, you know, going up against the Olympic Games. And and again, you know, as an Olympic organisation, we, we've got to try and fight to stop that happening. It was good to see that over 70% of European and Asian footballers don't want it to happen. And, you know, if I put my football hats on, I think that's terrible for players. You know, I think they're already doing so much. And also we've got, you know, the Euros is a great tournament the Champions League, the domestic leagues, we've got so many good football tournaments. I just don't understand why FIFA think that makes anything better. So, you know, I, I'll fight that not just with an Olympic hat on, I'll fight that with a football hat on as well. Football's placing the games a threat? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. I mean, for me, if we lost women's football in particular from the games, the games has done so much to build the women's football game internationally. That would be tragic. And, and again, you know, the, I, you've just got to have hope that common sense prevails in all this stuff, right? Because there would, if that happened, again, I'm not sure what the benefit would be to anyone. It would just be a big negative and a great cross against everyone if that happened. It's interesting you mentioned the women's football there. And it goes back to what you said about boxing and, and how diverse boxing is. And 
Steve, Steve Bunt always makes the point with boxing at the Olympics. You, you've got, you know, virtually every every race and religion fighting under under the British flag. Certainly in the in the in the last uh, in the last Olympics. You talk about women's football. We've talked about the the huge success of mixed relays at the Summer Olympics and at these at these Winter Olympics in, in the in the snowboarding. Do you have a marker? You know, when we're looking at media media ratings, social media ratings, do you have a diversity marker as well on sport? Maybe at the moment we don't get down to that level that we need to to measure that, but we are very aware that everything we do needs to appeal to the broadest community. You know, back in the UK, and, and we do put a massive value on that. And when you see sports like boxing and some of our athletes, you know, we want to celebrate the fact that we've got this diverse group of athletes who can appeal to so many people. It was fascinating during lockdown that, you know, we ran a campaign with the British Red Cross on TikTok called Isolation Games. It was the second biggest campaign in Europe on TikTok. And it was because these athletes just appeal to so many different people. They've got humility, they're normal, you know. And, and at a time, I think, when footballers in particular were not doing themselves proud, the, the Olympic athletes really stood up and, and represented our communities in the best way. So it is important. It's important, you know, you go down to the Sport England grassroots level, that diversity of participation is vital. And that's one of the things that will come out of these games. It was one of the things coming in that we were very aware of, and it's one of the things coming out that we'll be even more aware of, is we've got to find sports, winter and summer, which can appeal to diverse communities. And, and you know, there, there's clearly a finger can be pointed at some of the winter sports in, in that regard, that they're not so diverse. So we've been having a lot of discussions out here about that fact and how we make sure that we can appeal to, to the broadest possible community. And there's more work to do. But I would also say, Andy, and I don't know, it might send shivers down the ISC's back the way. But I would, I would say, every sport has a responsibility to look at things slightly differently if they want for the Olympics. I mean, you know, I said it many times during the Summer Olympics. You know, I personally feel golf missed a massive opportunity at, at the last Olympics when, having looked at mixed relays, golf could have done something so much different than just. Four rounds of, of, yeah, four rounds of stroke play for the men and four rounds of stroke. I mean, my God, sport needs to use its imagination, doesn't it? It really does. I, I agree with you 100%. I was at the golf a couple of days and it was, it felt like a second rate tournament. So it could have been something new, unique, special. It would have been magical. I agree. I mean, there's things like that. We've just got to keep pushing and pushing and hope that some of the sports are, are more enlightened. It's tough with some of those professional sports where, tennis and, and golf where, where it's not the most important thing so I think they feel they don't need to you know be creative and so maybe I agree with you they missed a trick on that but I think all the sports I think on the back of the triathlon and the swimming other sports are looking for interesting formats that can take them forward. Andy I just want your opinion on on something that I've I've heard and read this idea that you know, the Olympic Games and we for all the reasons we've been discussing We've gone with a winter and summer split, right? Makes sense. It made sense 70, 80 years ago. Continues to make kind of sense now. But there's a lot of crossover. There's a lot of sports that appear to be maybe in the wrong season. Maybe the whole thing is too big, you know, for the reasons we discussed again about who wants to, who can, who can afford to stage these things. That leads the IOC have to make some, some interesting compromises on maybe its principles. Why don't we just really be radical, split the thing up into maybe 
a combat Olympics, a an X Gamesy type Olympics, a speed Olympics. Let's let's have themed Olympics. Is 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 that an approach that could work? I agree. That I I you know what I've not thought about it, so I'm not going to jump in and say we've got to do that. But I think I don't know if this is because I've been here two weeks, but the Winter Olympics does feel like it gets dragged on a little bit longer. I'm not sure what everyone's feeling like back home watching it on television. Everyone feels that, but it, it does seem like some of the events that happen in their normal World Cups or in the X Games that happen in one day are strung out over several days. And I'm not quite sure that that's necessary. So I do think there's something about making the games more impactful. The Summer Games is really hard because it's so full of content that maybe you could do that, but you might risk losing, you know, you might risk losing something very special, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't look at things like that. And I do think being radical about certain elements of it is important. You know, I was at Disney when we created the X Games at Disney and, and that was such an amazing moment in time back in the 90s when the X Games was created because everyone thought this is a bit mad, but it's turned into this ongoing phenomenon and it, and it is something that changed the world. And now, you know, it's in the, those sports are in the summer games or in the winter games. And, and that was, a, that was a, change, a great changing moment. And, you know, it's amazing that Disney embraced it to the extent they did when they bought ESPN. But it, it's, it is something that changed the world. And so maybe there is something in that, but I just think, the starting point for me would just to be make sure these games are more impactful and that we have got more digestible content because we know that the younger generation have not got the same attention span as we all had when there were four channels on television. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And to finish today, here is Matt in conversation with Andrew Zimbalist, an author and economist who has published three books about the business side of the Olympics. His research has led him to raise questions about the value to cities of hosting the Olympics and influence some cities 
to back away from bidding. The International Olympic Committee has the honor of announcing that the Games of the 30th Olympiad in 2012 are awarded to the city of London. Well, look, Andrew, so we've just been hearing from Andy Anson, who's the Chief Executive of the British Olympic Association, who, who was speaking to us live from Beijing. And what came across is that this has been a, 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 a difficult game for lots of reasons, mainly to do with COVID and the, um, and the, the Chinese approach to, to dealing with COVID. But you know, let's be honest, the backdrop to these games was all about human rights. And there's been another big Russian doping scandal. I'm just wondering how the winter games are being discussed and viewed and 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 how do how do americans feel about the winter games do they do they are they talking about them at all well i don't think there's a general discussion amongst the populace about the economic or environmental impact of the games i think americans uh talk a little bit at least in the intelligentsia they talk about human rights violations but i again i think typical americans aren't paying very much attention to that either uh, the, the ratings for the games are down. Um, there, there's, there's less interest. I think part of that is, is, is generational and a cultural shift. I don't think there's a broad discussion about, about the future of the games in some existential way. Um, the, the human rights issue, which of course has been extant and importantly so in, in China, but, and also in, in other previous hosts, seems like it's going to be quiescent for a while because as, as you know, the, uh, uh, the next the next summer games will will be in Paris. And then we're going to have the games in Milan Cortina. Uh, then we're going to have the games in Los Angeles. So we don't know yet for 2030, but then we're going to have the game in, games in Brisbane, Australia. Uh, so there, there's no really glaring flags here about about human rights going forward. Now, of course, none of, none of these countries I'm mentioning have pristine human rights records. So I, I think the human rights problem. Uh, will be quiescent going forward. It certainly looks that way. Uh, the environmental problem is is still monumental. And the economic impact story, I don't think is very favorable. I mean, I think they'll be okay in Los Angeles because they have basically, they have all the venues and they have all the infrastructure they need. So they'll do all right. But in the other cases, there's, there's still going to be massive losses uh, as, as far as I can tell, uh, just as there have been in, in recent games. So the IOC will continue to have an issue with with getting cities to bid, which which has been a major problem for them. There's usually social disruption, people getting evicted, um, and and so uh, at, at least to the for the time being, the, the stars have not aligned. The political and financial stars have not aligned to enable the IOC to announce the 2030 host. One of the reasons people are, I think, really optimistic about LA. LA is 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 arguably the kind of city that could stage the Olympics. Every time, right? Well, I think they could, frankly. I'm not a, a resident of Los Angeles, so it's not up to me to tell them what to do. Uh, I think from an economic point of view and environmental point of view, they, they can do it and, and, and come out okay. The problem with it is, number one, that people in Los Angeles might not want it every four years. It's very disruptive socially. Uh, and, and even economically, it's disruptive, even, even if it might not be negative uh, economic effect, but it's disruptive in the case that businesses have to shut down for a while uh, and, and the city still has to contort itself a little bit. But even beyond that, it, as far as I can tell, the security costs 
for hosting the Summer Olympics is around $2 billion. Now, even though LA might come out even or even slightly ahead by hosting the games, the, the federal government is going to pick up the, the, the vast bulk of, of that $2 billion price tag because it will be declared a national security event and, and the US government takes care of, of providing security. Another possibility, I think, and it's not about to happen, but I think it's worth talking about, is find a place somewhere between Olympia and Athens in Greece um, and, you know, find your uh, 500 acres of land and, and build a new Olympic Shangri-La that can be used every four years for the summer games. Uh, and in between, it can be used for smaller events and for training purposes. Uh, that would work. The IOC could float a bond for 25 or $30 billion, pay interest on it at today's low, low rates. Uh, and that would be a viable alternative. But, you know, the problem, of course, is that the IOC... Uh, likes to think, I, I believe, at least they've come to uh, to have a role, which is to decide who's going to who's going to be the host of the games every two years. Uh, that gives them some power, some notoriety, some attention. And they're not about to simply surrender that power. No, it's good to be uh, an IOC member. It's a, it's a good life. Well, look, I think that I love the idea, and it, it's very much going back to the ancient games, isn't it? Of, of having a of having a, a central location. It's it's one of those ideas that comes around every ten years or so. I think it's one of those great ideas that I think will just remain an, an idea, unfortunately. I'm trying, but but it, but it has know, look, got- let me just say, let me let me add something about that because you brought up 1896 when the modern games yeah. began. The modern games were conceived as an athletic event amongst uh, the best athletes in the world and as a, as a venue for the world to come together on playing fields rather than battlefields and, and at least to provide symbolism for world peace and, and world brotherhood or sisterhood. Uh, and they, they started that way and they continued that way for a while. And then they became a construction event, which is all, all, these, all these cities that are hosting. You have large construction companies that are pushing the events because they're going to they're going to be getting billions of dollars of contracts and it's time to go back to the original thought the original vision of the olympics as as an international olympic event with with the political uh, and and ethical symbolism that 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 entailed the reason why corporate sponsors get involved and and they they're they're providing 2 to 5 billion dollars a year of money to to these olympic games not a year but per event uh, and the reason they get involved is because they think it's going to burnish their image by being, they get to brag that they're part of the Olympic family. Uh, but recent games haven't been burnishing anybody's image. Corporations that have been involved with sponsoring Beijing 2022 uh, have, have taken, a, I think, a public relations hit. And so if corporations start leaning on the IOC and say, look, you've got to do things differently along these dimensions, environmental, political, social, and so on, then maybe we'll see some change. So I don't think it's impossible. It's not simply an idea that pops up every 10 years and then disappears again. I think it's an idea that's building. It's not going to happen overnight, but there are forces that are not going away, I think, that will keep people talking about it and, and talking about it with increasing intensity. Now, I just want to sort of look forward. Just this idea, I think, within the Olympic movement, that Paris and LA are going to be fine. In fact, they're going to be better than fine. They're going to make us all feel good again. I'm not optimistic about Paris at all. Now, it might be true that the people who attend the games, from the corporations, from the corporate sponsors, from the IOC and their guests and the athletes, maybe maybe finally it will be fun again. And let's hope that it is. But that's very different about than, than solving economic problems or environmental problems. So I think that's a serious question there. With LA, I think it's sui generis. And by the way, I think there are, there are games in the past. I don't think that there's some blanket rule that games can't be positive. 
The problem is that, that hosts have contorted themselves um, and, and spent through the ceiling in order to accommodate IOC demands rather than using hosting to propel plans that they already had in place. Now, that plans that they already had in place and, and, and hosting being symbiotic or even synergistic with that, that happened in Barcelona, I think, in 1992. So there's no ironclad rule that the games can't work out. But it requires a, a lot of work and planning in very special circumstances. I think that LA has those circumstances, and I think the planning that the the, the organizing committee there has been doing has been fantastic. So I'm I'm optimistic that they're going to come out ahead. Uh, it's not going to be the catch me out for the Los Angeles economy, but I think it'll it'll be a net a net small gain. I'm not. Uh, you talk about London as feel good games. I, I I'm not optimistic about the balance, the economic balance uh, from from those games at all. One of the things that can happen with hosting the games, if it goes well, is, is it, it can create a better sense of community and, and, and a sense of, of enjoyment and energy. Uh, and that's great. But that's not solving economic or environmental problems. No, that's a fair comment. You know, I'm, I'm an East Londoner. I, 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 I you know, I, I lived I lived right on the edge of the park. And I saw I saw what was there before and I've seen what was there, what's there now. And it's I think it's I think it's interesting. I think sometimes we, we, we rush the judgments we should perhaps do this podcast or a version of it in, in, in 20, 30 years time. And just, but then, and then, then the other, the other difficulty of course is, is well, how do you do the alternative? Because I think the point you made in your the beginning of your answer was certainly Barcelona, certainly Sydney and you know, London, I think to, to a similar degree, it was a catalyst. Well, it wasn't just a catalyst. I mean, I'm a journalist, so I, I, I deal with deadlines all the time. I'm a terrible prevaricator, and so, and I can absolutely assure you, so are the, the the people that have run London. They are terrible prevaricators, and London provided a deadline. Are there other ways of doing that? Of course, there are. When you are under deadline pressure, do you do things optimally? No, but do you get stuff done? Well, yes, I do, and I think with, and I, with major cost overruns. Well, exactly. I mean, I drink too much coffee and I and I, I don't get enough sleep and yeah, and I, I don't exercise enough. But you're right, there are there are downsides. I wonder though, because of course you're an economist. That's where you're that's where you're that's where you come from. How you price in though, or, or do you even bother trying to price in those intangibles? You know, so that so that London, most Londoners feel quite good about London 2012. Most people in Barcelona feel quite good about their games and Sydney. And there is something that's hard to put a price on. Do you do you do you bother? Do you factor that in? There is an economic methodology or social science methodology called contingent valuation valuation methodology (CVM) that attempts to quantify the intangible, uh, the psychic benefit, if you will, of hosting these games. And I'm I don't contest that there is one. I think it's very hard to actually put a number on it. Some of that reaction that that people have is because Sebastian Coe did a great job promoting the Olympic Games, and because he had a wonderful propaganda apparatus around him. It wasn't necessarily the reality. It's great that people felt good about it. I think most of that good feel, feel good um, result is something that is ephemeral. It lasts, lasts for a few months. It's a last, it comes a few months before the games. It lasts for a few months. If everything goes well, if everything doesn't go well, then 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 all bets are off. I would agree with, with some of that. I, I think there's perhaps something you... A, a, I don't think it's ephemeral. I mean, maybe, yeah, a lot of it is ephemeral. The medal stuff is ephemeral. People are still talking about London 2012 in, in the UK. Final thought, Andrew, looking ahead to LA, because I think that is, it's, it just keeps coming up in conversations I have with people in the Olympic movement, that LA is going to be great. If it's not, if it is 
you know, just okay. If there are rows about the traffic or the projects in, in California that didn't happen because they did that, where does that leave the IOC? Where, where, where would you, you know, is, 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 the, is, the, is the whole proposition of staging these things and hosting these things and making a massive deal of these things and putting your country on hold or your city on hold for four or five years? If, if LA can't do it, can, can, can no one do it? I, you know, that's a reasonable question. I think that, um, as I say, LA has all the preconditions to, to be successful here. I'm not thinking that LA can't do it unless there's, there's some meta event that nobody is anticipating. Uh, the IOC is looking to Paris and they're looking to LA to kind of turn things around. What happens if they don't turn things around? Uh, it's going to be real difficult. I mean, you, you go back to the last several Olympic games and you, you see five European cities dropping out of the bidding here, four European cities dropping out of the bidding there. And if Paris and LA can't turn it around, as LA did back in 84, turn around the gestalt what, or the optics of, of hosting the game, then who knows what's, what the IOC is going to do. And so they're all going to have to sit down and think about a new model. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm excited to talk about the one city model for, for the summer and the winter games. Well, I think you've actually convinced me in the, in the course of this conversation. It's always seemed like a sort of, you know, almost, almost sort of too, ni- too nice, too neat an idea. But, but you, you've won me over. So um, okay. perhaps that's a good place to leave it. I, I, person by person. Yeah, we'll, you got to yeah, well, rebuild, podcast by rebuild podcast. the Olympics in the world. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thanks very much. Thanks very much for your All time, right, man. Andrew. Take care. My pleasure. All the best. Bye bye. Right. That's it. Thanks to our guests. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com slash football pod. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.